0: Hello friends, a very warm welcome to all of you on fourth episode of Corporate Banters with DK presented by Star Performers Consulting. I'm very excited to have Mr. Mike Devente today on this podcast, an industry veteran with over three decades of leadership experience in multiple roles and geographies. A multilingual person who can make anybody laugh in any situation by his infectious smile and out of the world sense of humor. He is considered as one of the best leaders who knows every intricacy of distribution of products through various channels. He has held various leadership positions in Motorola Solutions, including being Corporate Vice President and General Manager for Latin America and Asia Pacific. His current assignment is to lead the channel business as Vice President for Americas in Poly. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Mike Devente. Mike, a very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for your time. It's truly an honor to have you on this podcast.
1: Deepak, thanks for having me. Uh, what a gracious introduction and appreciate you uh, asking me to spend some time with you and your friends here today.
0: Fantastic, Mike. So without any further ado, let's get started. So for the sake of our audience, tell us a bit about your corporate journey.
1: Well, thanks. I think you summed it up quite well there, Deepak. But you know, many decades of experience predominantly uh, in technology. And predominantly with uh, channels of distribution, but often leading sales teams as well. Mm -hmm. Started off in a role that was maybe strategic, Mm -hmm. and then I went into operations and then the sales and back. I think when I talk about my journey, it was a journey of lots of different roles. In fact, every three or four years, I change roles my entire career. Okay. Um, And for me, I think that was probably the most. Exciting and important part, the bedrock of how I learned and grew along mm. the way.
0: Mm. You made a very valid point that in any career, changing roles are so critical to get that diverse perspective. And when you get to the leadership role, that diverse role and perspective really helps you in making a lot of decisions when you're in the tight corners.
1: Walking in multiple people's shoes
0: Absolutely. along
1: the way really helps empathy. Yeah, Uh, and understanding how others will react to different strategies or different actions. uh, Absolutely, Deepak.
0: So what has been the most fascinating and challenging assignment in your career? Tell us few learnings you took away from such assignment.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a hard one. And (laughs) I don't think I would select any one assignment, to be honest. Actually, the excitement for me, as we just talked about, was changing roles Mm -hmm. and being able to change roles and do different things so often Mm -hmm. was what I looked forward to all along my career. Not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes changing regions, countries, as you mentioned, but uh, sometimes functions as well. Yeah. And uh, something I coined early on was was what I call the rule of one. Mm -hmm. The rule of one, it's not a very complex rule, by the way. Uh, The rule of one for success, uh, because I've always said, you know, there's a difference between 20 years of experience and uh, one year of experience 20 times. Yeah. Mathematically, you would understand that. But the rule of one really is when you're changing roles, try to change no more than one thing, if mm. possible. Mm-hmm. If you have to, too. But if you change your region, try to stay with the same function. Mm. If you change your function, try to stay within the same region or at least the same industry. Mm-hmm. Certainly uh, will increase your success. And In times where I wasn't successful, I realized that the rule of one was stretched sometimes. uh, That was a learning of mine. Yeah,
0: great point. Because sometimes in the pursuit of making too many changes or in the pursuit of excitement of doing too many things, we do end up making that mistake. So I think it's a great advice to even people who are trying to change roles or in their early stage of their careers to follow that rule of one. I'll definitely remember that rule of one because I'm sure I have made that kind of mistake in the past as well. Now, you have done business in almost entire world, and if I can divide the entire world into four regions, Americas, EMEA, Latin America, and Asia-Pacific, tell us few differences of doing business in each region.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's interesting, you know, there's multiple regions as defined uh, by business, sometimes geographically, but geography doesn't always follow culture, so yeah. There are regions within regions yeah. um, that sometimes align more closely with a region that they're not in. Yeah, And, you know, along the way, I think one of the biggest things that I learned maybe from a high level is the contractual versus the relationship pool, if mm-hmm. you can make those words up. Mm-hmm. Some countries tend to be more contractual mm-hmm. in the way that our relationship is when we do business. And some seem to be more based on relationship. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean a contractual region could have strong relationships and that could drive your business and nor does it mean a relationship-based country could not have contracts but they tend to be maybe i play that out a little bit for example in a contractual type country or region we would do business together first we would do business and if i showed that i did business together with you yeah and i kept my word and i lived by the rule of the contract you might Maybe not, but you might just invite me to break bread with your family and meet uh, your family. Whereas in the relationship type regions, I think it's the inverse. Let's break bed first. Let's spend some time together to find out the fabric that you are. And then maybe just might do business with you contractually in a way. And I think it's interesting because when you look at the entire world, we kind of divide down these lines. And I think it drives the comportment or how you might even approach doing business in a country at the very first step.
0: Yeah. Great point. And in fact, Latin America and Asia-Pacific, I think, are the regions which actually falls in that relationship category, if I'm not wrong, as compared to Americas. Now, India is, again, a very big region. To be honest, Middle Eastern Africa, again, is more relationship based as compared to Europe. So Eastern
1: Europe is probably more like Latin and...
0: Exactly. Eastern Europe, again. Yeah. Uh,
1: Asian, correct. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, I mean, like you're spending a lot of time in the distribution and channel business. How different are channel or distribution in each of these regions?
1: Yeah, and that's another big one, and it's fascinating the things that I've learned about channels of distribution. A lot of times local customs in supply, there are approaches that are hundreds or even thousands of years old, even lines of supply, relationships between two different countries mm-hmm. because of something that took place in history years and years ago and understanding that is absolutely key. Understanding a country's closed or a country's open, the tax implications of doing business in a country, complexities that dictate between one step and two step. That means having a distributor that sells to mm-hmm. a reseller or just going directly from manufacturer to reseller. Navigating all of these different approaches mm-hmm. is, once again, I think it's a country-by-country Determination that many manufacturers put into the way how much risk do they want to take? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of position do they have in the market mm-hmm. in that particular country? Uh, how big is the opportunity to set up the infrastructure? And so I think they're incredibly different, both culturally mm-hmm. and by mechanism, it, by investment. And I think it might even differ by industry as well as you look at it. Most of my experience, in fact, all of my experience has uh, typically been from IT, telecommunications, and so. I would look at it through that lens.
0: Got it. So great point, Mike. We'll move on to our next question, which I think, again, is going to be an interesting one. You have been a leader for direct sales team. And of course, you have been basically hiring distributors across the world. And you spoke about the differences across the regions. Now, which one is more challenging? Selling through partners or selling through a direct sales team?
1: It all starts foundationally with cost to serve. I think the cost to serve is an important foundation in any channel mechanic that you put together. Mm -hmm. For example, if I'm trying to take a product to market, there are certain functions that need to be performed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Somebody needs to do the risking, the billing, the Mm -hmm. logistics, the delivery, Mm -hmm. the warranty. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of functions Mm -hmm. above and beyond just designing the product and the Mm R&D. Now, when, manufacturers use channels. What they're really doing, all they're really doing is outsourcing those functions to somebody who does it better, faster, more effectively, more efficiently Mm -hmm. in those ways. And so when we think about channels, channels are used to perform functions that are necessary to meet the end user's needs Mm -hmm. where someone else can do that better. Now comes to the point that you said, which is easier? Well, it depends. And so I'll introduce another Overlay to that the market challenger versus the market leader, for example, mm-hmm. if you're a market leader and there's high demand for your product, mm-hmm. there's more levers that you have potentially to manage a distribution channel with the right types of incentives. Mm-hmm. If you're a market challenger and you need to create your brand. You may have to get out there directly first yeah, and shake hands and meet customers and get the volume and the awareness necessary for a distribution channel to take interest to get the volume. And so I think, you know, most importantly, channels do not work for you. They run their own business, they have their own strategy, they have their own dreams and desires in life, Mm -hmm. influence without authority. Uh, Whereas a direct sale force works directly for you and you have a better chance of telling people exactly what to do and how to do it. So I think it depends on the maturity of your product, the market challenger, the market leader, and many other dynamics in your industry and in your go-to-market determined so i'm sorry deepak but once again i have to default to the it depends
0: (laughs) great point and that's why perhaps distributors drive ferrari's and the direct sales team basically still drives (laughs) the toyota's of the world (laughs) they they always end up making more money somehow right
1: that's right that's absolutely right
0: I'm going to change the topic a bit and talk more around the softer skills as if I may call softer skills. I mean, though I believe that those softer skills are hard skills? What would be your advice to sales leaders who are dependent upon their numbers by selling through partners?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Now, based on the last conversation we had, let's assume we're selling through partners already. That's our decision. Yeah. Now you really, really need to understand how your partners make money. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. And I think a lot of times we default to they buy our product and they resell it for a margin. That's how they make money. Yeah. And that is not always the case. I think the anatomy of their business is absolutely critical to understand where do they derive profit from? Mm -hmm. Is it the service? Is it the truck rule or is it the attach? Mm -hmm. Is it some other ancillary connecting part of business that you're basically just enabling? I always make the example of the uh McDonald's hamburger and the French fries, as someone once explained to me, McDonald's makes all their money off the fries and and the drinks we all know that mm-hmm. and they may not actually make that much off the burger. Mm-hmm. It was explained to me that even these burgers have you know a couple pieces of bread, they've got a special box that might actually cost more than the burger itself, just so that it holds it together, right. Mm-hmm. This is all an objective to sell the fries and the drink, which have enormous amounts of profitability. And I think if we think about our distribution channel somewhat like that, are you the burger? Or are you the fries? Mm-hmm. And how do they make money? Mm-hmm. And how do we help them make money? Because ultimately, once you understand how they're making money and you address their needs, you become a more interesting option for them to resell. I think a lot of us miss that. And Instead of being a trusted business advisor, we relegate ourselves to a vendor. Yeah, vending something to resell again. Yeah, and that relationship's not there deep enough. So I, I think that's probably the most important message I'd send to anybody about uh, working with gems.
0: Now let's talk about leadership a bit. While every leadership role has its own challenges and uniqueness, tell us few learnings you had as a leader to manage sales team.
1: Yeah, and I'd say the sales team or the entire organization, I think trust trumps everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You got to have trust and you have to build trust. People cannot follow a vision if they don't trust the leader. Yeah. And I think this is the number one. By the way, we can have great strategy. We got some of the smartest people in the world. Yeah. But the foundation for the flow of information, mm-hmm. the collaboration between team members, the thing that makes it all possible, it doesn't happen in a fear-based organization, yeah, or in an organization where information doesn't flow because there isn't trust. yeah ultimately, I think it's trust, yeah
0: you're absolutely right and especially it becomes all the more important when you're managing let's say different nationalities and, and across geographies. And I think this trust has become more accentuated uh, in the last couple of years during COVID times. Because unless you had that trust, you just can't make people work whom you have never met in your life, perhaps. And I think as a leader, we need to find a way to build that trust as well. So the biggest challenge I have seen as a leader is how do you build that trust? What's your view on that?
1: Yeah, I think you have to demonstrate to your organization certain vulnerabilities. Yeah, you certainly Great need point. to be empathetic. We talked a little bit yeah. about that. But, you know, we'll go into another big mistake I think we've all made in the past, I have as well. We see somebody who does it well and we try to be like that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, yeah. you
1: know, if I tried to be like Deepak, I would be a terrible, terrible Deepak. And so you have to find your own way and what works for you Yeah. in terms of how you would build that trust and understanding, I mean, there are certain basic principles that I think we all could agree to and, and learn. And it, and I think, by the way, hybrid working has introduced a layer uh, to this that's fascinating. Yeah. We're able to make 12 to 15 calls a day yeah. and video calls and meet people. And it's fantastic. You can touch many, many more people, uh, but you can also run the risk of being very transactional in those phone mm-hmm. calls. Exactly. You know, 30 minutes in and out, and you don't build a relationship. So yeah. leveraging the technology and the ability to, to do this, to take the time and build the yeah. trust or relationship on the video rather than the, the transaction that I think has become a big risk for some of us during, you know, this period I, is ser- certainly something to be attentive to.
0: Absolutely. Completely agree with you. Now, you have always been a business-
1: lunch. Sure. How about lunch? Have you, ever, have you ever done lunch with somebody over a video call?
0: I have had drinks, not lunch.
1: That's good. That's good. I think that's definitely a way to extend the platform just like you would at the office. Hey, let's go out and have lunch and talk about this yeah. face-to-face. I think we sometimes turn things off and then just go have lunch and then come back. And it's a great way to slow things down and, and uh, by the way, build that trust since that's what we were talking about.
0: You're absolutely right. See, so It's the question of finding one's own ikigai, having one's own leadership style and, more importantly, finding the way you can build that trust with the team. Now, As you mentioned, you have done various roles, I'm sure not finance role, but I'm sure you always had a finance partner. So what would be your advice to those finance partners supporting business leaders?
1: Yeah, finance always has had a special place in my heart, as you know. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, Having worked together with you was uh, one of the uh, best experiences uh, that I've certainly had.
0: Uh, no, by you, far. you don't need to say that since just because you're on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, look, I think if I was to talk to anyone who is in a finance career supporting a general manager or business manager, I think it's being inquisitive and being a partner. Let's not be relegated to, I hate to use the word bean counter on such a podcast, but being relegated For example, we made HR decisions together. We made investment decisions together. We made decisions about how we would craft messaging, both to customers and internally. I think a lot of times general managing leaders, they have the saying, it's lonely at the top. There is absolutely a need for a partnership to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like an equal partnership in running the business. And most of the incentives are built that way for that partnership anyway. So if someone's aspiring to be a role like that, try to learn as much about the business and the go-to-market. Get out early on in a career and talk to customers, talk to partners. Understand how the business flows Mm -hmm. that sometimes doesn't show up on the balance sheet or the income statement. Um, I think you will actually bring it to life um, with that experience. And if you ever get an opportunity to bounce uh, in between... A business role and a finance role, even an operations role, and then go back to finance, I think that also builds uh, a very, very strong CFO uh, pedigree for sure.
0: Absolutely agree with you. One last final question before we move to our fun rapid fire round. What are the few things you learned from your finance partners?
1: Yes. Well, I think the biggest thing that that i've learned is not all decisions need to be made fast and you need to know which ones do and which ones don't mm-hmm. the second big learning i think i had was never waste a crisis fantastic um, mm-hmm. regardless of the situation crises are in themselves difficult situations they're stressful for the organization and they're stressful for us but sometimes it's the best time to do a reset to make a change or introduce a strategy that would not otherwise be acceptable and that probably goes hand in hand when to make decisions and how so i think those would probably be the the two biggest ones
0: great so, Mike, this was, I think, a very insightful conversation. There are many new words which you coined, which is always the case with you, right? One-liners and the new terminology. So, rule of one, relationship versus business, cost to serve, the McDonald's hamburger versus french fries. I love that analogy that you brought that with distribution channel. Uh, you spoke about trust, being inquisitive. I think all great points, Mike, and this is absolutely what makes a great leader, which you are, honestly. So thank you for all such an insightful conversation. Now what we're going to do is have a bit of fun. I'm going to throw some questions at you, try to make it one word answer. You can go with two or three words as well, doesn't matter, but let's make it fun and light. Again, there's no right or wrong to this, all right? I'm ready. You're ready? Fantastic, let's get started. Which one is better to stay, Singapore or United States? <laughs> I knew it. You are going to stop on your tracks on this one.
1: <laughs> Didn't say how long I had to think about it, you just said one word.
0: Yeah, you can take as much of time.
1: <laughs> That's a tough one, Deepak I'll go with United States. That's where my children are.
0: All right. Your favorite one-liner.
1: I refuse to participate in the recession.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say, bad breath is better than no breath. One word which describes you. Anime. I completely agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the last one. Which is correct? In my mind or to my mind?
1: <laughs> well, thank you, to you for educating me on the English language. It is to my mind.
0: That means you have started believing me. Thank you for that, Mike. (laughs) Awesome, Mike. I I think this was a great conversation. I really loved it. And I really appreciate you spending time during your evening. This is dinner time for you. I'm pretty sure about it. So so thank you again.
1: Thanks for having me, Deepak. I appreciate it.